Well, I appreciate that worship. Uh, usually, I was telling Matt, usually after worship, I'm the one drenched in sweat, and uh, it's nice to be dry when I get up here. Usually, I, I have half my shirt sticking to me while I'm trying to preach, and it gets freezing cold, and half my body hardens up. And I... So it's good, but that is awesome praise and worship. I, I, I first want to start off and just say thank you to everybody uh, for having me, and specifically, of course, to uh, uh, Eric and Matt for allowing me to come and share. Uh, it's, it's an honor to be able to come here and share on a Sunday morning with you guys. Last time I, I got to come, I got to share on a Wednesday night, and uh, y'all have grown since then, and uh, it's exciting to see this, what God is doing. And uh, I told Eric and Matt last night, we came up to the church to check it out, and I told him, I said, every time I come, the next time I come, y'all have expanded. So I said, you need to have me more often. And they both said, no, 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 no. This is no more expansions. If y'all keep it up, you will just continue to renovate buildings throughout Houston. And it, it, that'll, that'll be your ministry. You'll, you'll prepare churches for other brothers and sisters. But see, it's exciting what God is doing. Amen. Because I was also at the service in their garage. Uh, and... Uh, that they converted, put carpet down, paint it yellow, white trim, uh, put some of the, was that board up there, yeah. the uh, timeline? Yeah. And uh, I believe some of those, that, uh, the, yeah. the shawl was there and some things of that nature. And humble beginnings is a fantastic thing because humble beginnings gives God the opportunity to do something. So we can honestly say, it wasn't because of Eric or Jennifer or Matt and Cass or anybody that God brought to this place because they didn't have a marketing campaign. They didn't have a, a, a TV endorsement. They didn't have a, a campaign team to go out and, and blanket the neighborhoods. All they had was God's Holy Spirit. All they had to rely on. See, that's where God wants us. And when we submit to that, it's amazing what God can do. And see, it's amazing when you get to see it from the point of uh, conception to now. And it's still going, and it's still growing, and all of you are part of that. And it's a glorious, wonderful thing to be a part of what the Lord is doing. Anybody can be a part of a club or a, a gathering of people that come and fellowship and drink coffee together. Anybody can do that. They do that at Starbucks. But it's something fantastic to come together and praise and worship the Lord. And it's rare. And... Um, I'm excited to be a part of it. What's even cooler, and I, I don't want to repeat myself from Wednesday, but it's y'all doubled in size, so I know ha at least half of you didn't hear this last time. So I'm very briefly going to share with you uh, a little bit about how I am at all affiliated with you guys, uh, besides through the blood of Jesus, uh, is, if that's okay. Um, and then I'll get to the message. I have about three messages I think I might preach. Uh, I thought I had a message. But then last night I got another message, and uh, I've got Eric mentioned something to me, and it got me started on another message. So I might preach all three of them. Uh, Amen. Amen. I, 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 I heard I heard Eric. He uh, I watched his sermon. He preached for almost an hour and a half. So I know I got at least that much time. I know the tape will run at least that long. But uh, very quickly, uh, God did something really special. I, and very quickly, Lynn, would you stand up? Real quick, just stand up. I want to, 
I'm nobody without these guys, and this is my wife, Lynn, and this is uh, my children. Jude, you can stand up, too. This is uh, Hannah. Hannah, turn around and wave to everybody. That's Hannah. She's nine. Jude, give everybody a wave for me, buddy. That's Jude. He's six. Ella, can you give me a wave to everybody? She's four, and uh, my wife is uh, 37. Uh, she doesn't mind. When you look like you're 27, you can, it doesn't matter. Uh, so I'm blessed, absolutely, uh, and I, I, I'll, I'll get into that, uh, but I want to introduce them because I don't know if they got to get dismissed to go to children's church or this, that, and the other. But I, I love my family, and I thank God for them, and uh, they all feel your love, and they all appreciate what God's doing as well. But very quickly, how we got, uh, how God brought all this together. Um, I, I was born and raised in a, 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 for the most part, a spirit-filled household. Uh, but before God's spirit came and changed our family, our family dynamic was uh, was broken, to say the least. Uh, my mother and my father, uh, and my, my, my biological father, I love dearly. Uh, he was a brilliant man, very smart, uh, intelligent person, uh, just happened to be an incredibly lazy and uh, a lazy pothead, really. He was a hippie, a leftover hippie. And uh, how he ended up marrying my mom is beyond me. But they got married and had me in, in uh, post-haste, had a divorce uh, when I was around a year and a half or so. Uh, neither one of them serving the Lord, obviously, and um, they, uh, so the marriage right off the bat was broken up, and uh, shortly thereafter, my mother married a, a wild, crazy individual uh, who was just crazy, and he had also been married and uh, had two sons from that marriage, and so they got married in sin without God's guidance. And uh, very quickly, that marriage began to disintegrate. And we, they had so instantly when my, my mother, Lorraine, and my stepfather, Buzz, who I love dearly, uh, they, they married whenever I was uh, around three, three and a half, somewhere around there. And uh, I had two older brothers instantly. So we had the American family, a mixed bag of craziness. And uh, without God, it was headed for destruction. And uh, pretty soon after they were married, they had uh, a little girl, my little sister. And so here we are, this big, unhappy family, uh, trying to survive without God's love and power in their marriage. And it wasn't happening. And things actually turned violent. Uh, they both wanted to mend their ways and to start a life anew and escape their, the seeds that they had sown in their life previously, but it was unescapable. Uh, only God can restore that and only God can deliver you from that stuff and you can run from it but it'll always crop up it'll always be there until you turn to Jesus and they weren't learning that and they weren't understanding that concept and the enemy was destroying that marriage and uh, my stepfather was a pretty violent fella and uh, I was as a five-year-old or six-year-old uh, I remember really noticing the, the, how broken our family was. Uh, it, was. it became very evident and very apparent to me. And uh, not even so much on the violent level where my father, my stepfather would come in drunk and uh, you know, punch holes in the wall, just do violent stuff. Uh, but I realized on a spiritual level we were off. And I really 
didn't really have any concept of Jesus in any real way, but something in my heart cried out for some sort of peace. Something in my heart cried out, and it was crying out to the Creator in a way that is really unexplainable, only that God birthed it in all of us to cry out to Him at some point. And I remember experiencing that as a child, and I remember the hope and the, uh, the, the hopelessness and the despair, and it kind of all culminated in uh, one night after... Uh, a problem that my stepfather had was that he, he liked uh, other women. He specifically, he liked uh, other men's women. That was a, that's a pr kind of a problem in, in lots of marriages, uh, it, uh, you know. But that was a problem, and they were arguing, uh, and I remember this, because I woke up hearing them arguing and fighting. And we lived in a little spec house in Baker, Louisiana. And uh, I remember getting out of my bed, and it was particularly intense argument. And uh, I peeked down the hallway, because things seemed to be getting really out of hand. And I caught a glimpse uh, of my father lay my mom out, uh, it punched her right in the mouth, uh, crumpled her to the ground. Uh, and I remember thinking, I remember feeling a, a, a feeling of despair and hopelessness that I, I, didn't, I didn't think there was any way. And this is as a six-year-old or a five-year-old. But I remember it clearly, and I remember that demonic oppression, that spiritual oppression that I couldn't escape. I was a little kid, and I was terrified. Part of me wanted to, wanted to kill my stepfather. Part of me wanted to, I had these feelings of how could I do it? How could I, and, and another part of me was broken and wanted to go and hide in a corner because I watched my mother and put her hand over her mouth and the blood coming through her fingers and bust her lip open and I saw my stepfather have some instant remorse and he was he was a captive of the enemy so that was the state of my family at one point and and we all have had those types of situations and struggles because we're all born into sin That's right. we're all born into it but this is the amazing thing that lifestyle that family that I had no control over God found a way to come and deliver us that only he can do by his power. And I saw it happen. Divinely, I saw a man who was abusive, drunk, completely controlled by the enemy. I saw God's spirit come in and change him inside out. Not somebody didn't coach him how to be godly. God's power changed him. And I saw it go through our entire family in a way that is unexplainable, in a way that only God can do. And I watched it happen, and God's Spirit came into our family and restored it. Now, it wasn't perfect by any stretch, all right? It wasn't perfect. God is not expecting us to be perfect. He's expecting us to hunger and thirst for righteousness and purity. And when we do that, and we give Him that opportunity, His Spirit can work, amen? amen. And I got to see that in my family. Uh, as drastic of a heathen as uh, my parents were, they were determined to be that drastic of Christians and uh, they wanted to push the envelope and really press in and in no time we were uh, literally in no time in, in five years after they got saved they were on the mission field and uh, from whenever I was 11 and, and we how many know Searchlight Ministries Searchlight you know, uh, we grew up going to Searchlight and we moved from Searchlight Ministries which Searchlight reminds me of this place just uh, 
uh, brothers and sisters, they converted a metal building, built a church, came from a house. I got to experience all of that, watch God uniquely move, divinely work. What somebody would say is nothing and worthless. God took it and exploded into a wonderful church service where people's lives were changed. That's where Buzz and Lorraine were. I was one of these kids sitting on the front row watching people jam out to Jesus and dance and love the Lord. And, and it was powerful. And that's what Buzz and Lorraine, just in this type of setting, they got to grow up in and have brothers and sisters in and get encouraged spiritually in. And uh, then they went, went from there and moved to, to Bethany under Larry Stockstill. And from there, they went to do mission work. And uh, of course, there's been some wonderful, there were some wonderful times in Germany. And uh, that time in my life, I had to figure out uh, who God was for me. And, uh, you know, it was the ages from 11 to 15. But I'm getting, I'm getting, uh, can't remember. Uh, yeah, 11 to 15 or 16. Uh, I was praying desperately that God would send us back. I love Germany. But I was, I wanted to go to high school. And I think I prayed us that our visas got canceled. I genuinely think that. We came home to itinerate, to build support. And we had churches that supported us. And we came home from Germany. We had a house there. My parents sold everything, everything that they ever had. They sold it, moved to Germany. My uh, Buzz wanted to become a German. He really wanted to apply for citizenship. He was absolutely committed. And uh, they had a house there and all these things. They were building a life there. They'd started a church and a fellowship there. Yep, Eric's been there. And... Um, we came back to the States to itinerate, and I genuinely prayed, God, please, I don't want to go back to Germany. I want to, I want to get a wife. I want to get an American wife. Uh, nothing against the German ladies. I just wanted an American wife. And I wanted something in me wanted to be in America. And I knew that spiritually it wasn't good for me to be in Germany. And uh, I genuinely prayed that God would call us back. And then that, that trip, the German government sent us a letter saying that our visas had been canceled, and, uh, which is unheard of uh, for Americans to have their visas canceled uh, from, from a country like Germany. Our visas were canceled, and basically that was it. Uh, my parents, well, their world was rocked. They had a church that they had started, that that was their life, and now they can't get back and live in the country. Uh, but God absolutely answered my prayer, and I, I'm, I'm very happy about that. Uh, I, I know that's selfish, but I was 15, so I'm, I'm allowed to be a little bit selfish. But at that time, I genuinely prayed and asked God to let us stay here, and it, and it, and it happened, and I, I thank Jesus for that. Uh, and from that point, uh, Buzz and Lorraine, through the help of Jesus, of course, through people that came into their life, like Matt and Eric, and, and, a, and a laundry list and a lot of other of you that are here, came to King's Harvest whenever we started as a Bible study in a living room. Of three or four of my high school friends came. And from that it grew, and it grew, and it was able to touch lives. Now it wasn't perfect by any means. And certainly the enemy, I've seen it, the enemy come against what God tried to birth and start. And I'm telling you, in this instance, in, in, in our ministry of, at, the, at King's Harvest, the enemy took a baseball bat and he did, a, he did a number. He attacked with full force and he wanted to destroy something. 
But thank God, because of some obedience and because of some faithful hearts, the enemy did not win the battle. He did not win the war. He, got a, he, he won a little skirmish, all right? But he didn't win it because what, what the enemy meant to destroy, God blessed. God said, I'm still going to bless it. All I need is a little obedience. All I need is a little humility. All I need is somebody to trust in me and watch what I do. And that's what I get to see here. I get to see how what the devil meant to destroy, what the devil meant to hurt and to cripple, God flourished. And it's awesome. It is absolutely awesome. And I thank Jesus for that. Um, And in that time period, whenever Matt and Eric uh, and some other brothers... uh, they were an, a great encouragement to me. And when I was 16, 17, 18 years old, I needed these guys to come into my life. This is really what I was praying for, were these brothers in my life, because I didn't have anybody in Germany. And God honored that, and He blessed that. And I see what, I see what the enemy tried to destroy. God said, no, I, I, that, that's nothing. The enemy took his best shot. I can restore it, and I can birth wonderful things out of obedience. And, and this is what we have, and I'm so blessed by that. So I thank you, and that's my, uh, we might be a couple of miles apart, but in God's spirit, we're absolutely one. Amen. We're absolutely one, and I thank Jesus for that. Amen. So that is my, uh, our, what God is doing and what God is going to continue to do. I'm encouraged by it. Uh, at uh, the King Cyrus Fellowship in Walker, Louisiana. Uh, we are praying for you guys. I know you're praying for us. Let's continue to pray that God's will is done and you watch what God has for us in the future. You watch what God has for us in the future. And it'll be something that none of us can take the glory for. It'll be all God's glory because we're, we're powerless to do anything. We're powerless in our own strength, but God's arm is more than mighty. And we're going to continue to rely on that. Amen? Amen. 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 So uh, if, if you would, please turn to 1 Corinthians. We've got to do some unique things with Matt and Eric. I've gotten to work with them. Uh, I've gotten to work with them like make money like secular job work. Uh, Eric was my boss at one time uh, at a company that uh, we worked for. Me and Matt, me and Matt Pirro uh, got to paint buildings together and... Uh, make money and that's some of the most blessed times of my life is being able to it wasn't always the easiest uh, time in life but when I look back on it and it, it when, when you're being obedient to God and you're walking in his love and his obedience it's not gonna be this joyous path filled with pop-tarts and marshmallows and uh, this this beautiful flowers constantly it is going by default. It is going to be rough at times. Yes. But it's the character building times. It's the times that you can look back on and say, look how I was strengthened by that relationship. Look how uh, what God, in the natural, it was not always the best. But how many of you know that God, His love, His faithfulness, your relationship with Him is not based on anything circumstantial, right? Amen. If it were... We'd be in trouble. If if our love and our dedication and our faithfulness was based on the circumstance and the natural, it would seem like we're just losing half the battle or we're losing most of the battle. But it's not. 
It is not built on that. God's calling in your life and His love and what He has for you is not based on your circumstance. It's not based on, on what's happened in the past. And we, we like to run from our past, right? But God says, I'll use your past and I'll build you a bright future with it. I'll use the seeds that you've sown in your life and I'll use the seeds that were sown in your life that you had no control over that you're maybe ashamed of, maybe that you're hurt by, maybe that was that hurts you deeply and you want to run from it, God says, no, give it to me. I will use it for my benefit. And I will use it. And only God can do that. What does the world want to do? The world wants to put your face back in it. The world wants to beat you down. The devil wants to continually keep you pinned down by your transgressions and remind you of it constantly. That's what the world wants to do. But God wants to, and I'm telling you this morning, God wants to utilize everything about you, your strengths and your weaknesses. And that's the difference between God. See, the world just wants to use your strengths. The enemy wants to just pump you up and, and say that you're the greatest thing ever. And that that's what the world wants to do. And the Lord says, that's easy. That's cheap. I'm going to take all your failures I'm going to take all your shortcomings and through my spirit, I'm going to make you a kingdom builder in my kingdom. I'm going to make you something. I'm going to take all that which the devil meant for rot and what the devil meant for destruction and I'm going to build something holy. Amen? And, and I want to encourage you this morning. Uh, Eric mentioned something to me and I'm not a... I'm not... I, I don't uber-spiritualize anything. Uh, I, I try to keep a pretty sober, level-headed, sometimes uh, to a fault. Uh, but I don't, I always want God's Spirit to move and to work, and I want to rely on it. Uh, sometimes i got to get my own thought process and intellect that I think I have out of the way and just let God be God. Um, and I think that's why God speaks to me in dreams, because I'm too thick-headed maybe in the natural whenever I'm awake to hear him speak, I guess. I don't know. But I have, uh, Eric mentioned to me about a dream that I had and I was thinking about it. And it was one of those times where it was something definitely supernatural. And if I could, I want to briefly share uh, the dream and I wanted to encourage you because oddly enough, it did tie into the message that I felt like God had for me for you guys. Um, and I don't want to go into great detail because I, I genuinely, uh, I don't want to put everybody to sleep here. But the, the, the gist of the dream that I had, and now I know people say they had dreams, and somebody said, oh, you just ate too much pizza, or you, you, know, you had a, you, you know, whatever, you had indigestion, and it was just a, I've had those dreams. I know that this dream was not one of those dreams, all right? Because I don't uber-spiritualize things in my life, the one benefit of that is that when God speaks, I absolutely know it's the Lord. Amen. All right. Whenever I met my wife or when I saw Lynn, uh, I'd seen her come. Just a little side note. Uh, I'd seen her a couple of times before school started uh, when I was 16. And uh, I talked to her once, I think, timidly, uh, scared to death. I was a sophomore. She was a senior in high school. And but I knew, but I knew, (laughs) but I, but I knew that I knew that she was special. And I'd been praying for my wife since I was eight years old. 
something that Larry Stock still preached from the pulpit that went into my heart. He, he said, I challenge all of you right now, young men, start praying for your wives. Young women, start praying for your husbands. And I did. He said, start praying for your children. Start praying for your seed right now. And I did. And I did that faithfully. I really did that faithfully. And God absolutely honored that. So whenever I fast forward to when I'm 16, I met Lynn and uh, knew that she was special. But school started and I never really got to talk to her or anything. But high school started and I'm trying to figure out high school. You know, I'm in going to this school and I'm trying to find my class and I'm walking to this, this school room and out of the door comes Lynn. And I thought, oh, that's her. I remember her from whatever social event that I'd gone to, a birthday party or something like that. I remember her and her name's Lynn and she's beautiful and all those things. And as we were walking by, God spoke to me very clearly and said, she's going to be your wife. That's your wife. And now this is at a time where I wasn't really on my hands and knees seeking God, but I had planted a lot of seed in the heavens. I had built a memorial in the heavens of prayer for my wife. And I know that memorial, God was having to step around in the kingdom, in his heavenly realms, because I know I built it with my prayers over lots of years, every single day. And finally, he said, all right, I orchestrate. I'm going to get this thing. I canceled visas of missionaries just so you could meet this person. And, and I, but so the, the thing is, though, when I met her, because I was so faithful and sowing seeds in my prayer life in that area, God spoke to me divinely, and there's no question. I don't question it at all. Somebody could say, well, maybe it was just, no. Well, maybe, it, no, no. It was the Lord God. Amen. That's it. Amen. And I have, I, I, I have beyond faith in that. I, I know that that was God, and he spoke to me divinely. So God spoke to me about my wife and said, that's going to that's gonna be your wife. And I'd never even talked to her hardly. Said two words to her. And she was the the high school quarterback was going after her and the, uh, uh, you know I, I in the natural I didn't have a shot I was a sophomore and she was seeing all those things didn't matter God spoke it to me uh, whoever else you can get out the way God spoke this to me this is this is mine and, and, and God blessed me in that in that manner but the the whenever God speaks to me or whenever God shows me something, I know it's Him because I don't try to over-spiritualize things. So when I woke up from this dream, I instantly knew that this was God that had given me this dream. Instantly knew. And I woke up and I told Lynn, I just had a, an experience with the Lord. And, and I began to tell her the dream. But this is the dream. Uh, and I, I wasn't praying about this. I wasn't, this isn't something that was on my heart. This isn't something that I was, I wasn't searching after this experience with God. God just chose to reveal this to me again in my sleep, uh, which is the only time I guess he can do that with me uh, because I had a couple of little dreams like that. But this one was very profound and I want to share it with you. Um, I find myself in the dream. I'm in a, in a, in a beautiful sanctuary, uh, beautiful, ornate stained glass, gold, uh, uh, candle holders, the whole nine, beautiful marble everywhere, a beautiful church, certainly a church that God's presence should be in. And in the church service, it's packed out. 
there's lots of people with, with different robes and rituals, and they're proclaiming Jesus, all right? And they're celebrating a wedding, all right? And, this, and, they, and everything in the natural seems beautiful. And the name of the Lord, I mean, these people, like we all praise this morning, these people were praising the same way. And, and also, they just happened to be blessed in the natural, seemingly. I mean, everything was beautiful. And these people were celebrating the name of Jesus, and they were, and I was sitting right there watching this all happen. And as they, they, they came and they did the marriage ceremony, and they blessed, and these guys and these powerful, very high and lifted up in robes and rituals, blessed this, these, this couple, and this, that, and the other, and I watched the, the marriage ceremony, and after it was done, everybody began to file out a door to the side, and they were going to go and celebrate. And I stood and I sat right there. And as they filed out of the building, as the last person left, and they were shouting and celebrating. And it all seemed very godly to me. But as they were leaving the building, as the last person left, I realized that behind me in the corner of the building, these, this group began to come and tear down the, the facade. They began to tear down what I thought was this beautiful marble inlay was really just wallpaper. And they just rolled down. And they began to tear down this whole beautiful, majestic location where God was being worshipped and where this marriage was being celebrated. Uh, all of the, what I thought were these uh, candelabra type heavy duty, they were just plastic. They just took them apart and they just put them in a bag. And even the floor, which was beautiful, uh, this beautiful flooring, they just rolled it up. And they kind of, as they rolled it up, they went to the back of the stage and, all, and I sat there and I noticed this beautiful ornate pew that I was sitting on was now just an old chair, just a wooden chair. And I realized I was in a warehouse that was dirty and dingy and it stank and there was holes in the wall and beautiful stained glass that was on the side of the building. The windows were broken out. I could see part of outside, part of it was boarded up. It was a, it was a dump. It was a dilapidated dump. Everything was a facade that I saw. And this door that they went and stored everything in, I went to the back because I was curious, what just happened to this place? And I went back in the back of the, the, back in the, back of the altar where the church, where the preaching was. And I went to the back and I went to this back section and it was full of what I, what I know were demons, but it was full of all kinds of animals. And they were in cages and they were vicious animals. And they, whenever I walked in, there was... There was hissing and there was growling and I was terrified. And as I walked by these cages, I felt compelled, for whatever reason, to continue to walk in and investigate what was this place that was proclaiming Jesus and that had such a wonderful, beautiful, uh, attractive thing about them that they were celebrating the Lord that has collapsed, gone out, and now it's a dingy warehouse and now I'm back in the back where the where the truth is supposed to be being preached I've gone through the back in the back of the pulpit area in the back of the altar and there are demons in cages and they're wild animals mixed animals and all of these things and I was I'll be honest I was scared of my surroundings and if you were there you you would understand it was uh, not trying to be a spiritual superhero I was I was pretty terrified of what I saw and as I walked through the, the cages, the animals were hissing and growling and uh, they, were, they were bowing up to me and trying to show me how tough they were. And I was scared. 
didn't need to show me, I was, I was afraid. But as I walked in the back and it was, there was a dim light that was coming from the back of the, the, uh, this warehouse area in the back of the stage and I could see an outline of another animal. But for some reason I had to go and see what that was. Y'all bear with me, it will make sense here in a second. As I walked to this animal, I was even more terrified of this animal than I was of all the other animals, but for some reason I had to keep walking. And there was a little light that came through the ceiling and I could barely see the outline of, of this beast that was in the very back of this, what was supposed to be a church. And it was laying there and I felt something telling me I had to go closer and I had to go find out what this was. And as I approached it, it began to move. And I, I genuinely, I haven't felt that fear ever. I've never felt that feeling of fear. But at the same time, I couldn't help but try to understand what it was. And it moved, and as it moved, it turned towards me. I got even more fearful because I saw it was a lion. And I could see that it was, as the light, it came into the, oh, and this, by the way, just as a side note, this is before the Chronicles of Narnia came out. So please don't ever see anybody say, oh, well, that's the Chronicles of Narnia. He watched that before he went to sleep. Way before that movie came out. Years before. So don't get it twisted. I, this is not anything, has no part of that. But as this lion slowly came into the light, and it was massive, I felt this fear like... Uh, I, I couldn't stand. I, I, it's going to destroy me and devour me. These other things might be able to, but they were in cages, but they were still intimidating. And they were, or they were chained up on the wall and this, that, and the other. They were under the captivity of this building. All right? They were controlled by this building, but they were definitely there. But this lion, I remember the lion stood up, and I, and I thought I was going to throw up or pass out or both. And... The lion, this, again, bear with me. The lion spoke to me, all right, and said, uh, you found me. And I said, I couldn't speak. And he said, don't be afraid of these things. And oh, and when the lion stood up, I heard all behind me, everybody take a step back. I heard, felt everything behind me stepped back as I took a step forward. And they began to cower as this lion stood up. And... I said, I'm scared. I'm, 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 I'm terrified. I'm frozen with fear. I, I don't know what to do. And he said, don't be afraid. I want you to come with me. And he opened his mouth. Now, when the, when the lion stood up, and I haven't told this in a long time. I, I got to share it with my church a while back. But every time I think about it, I, I just feel, I feel it is powerful. I know it was the Lord. But as the lion stood up, I realized how absolutely massive this creature was. How majestic and how wonderful, but at the same time, he was in the back of this church cellar, in the back of the, the altar, caged up. I mean, he wasn't caged up, he was free, but he was stuck back here with all these other demons. And as he stood up, I literally felt the demonic presence back up behind me as they cowered in their cages. And I hadn't looked at him, and he said, I want you to follow me. And he opened his mouth, and he told me, I want you to grab hold of my tooth. And when he opened his mouth, I remember, I genuinely thought he was gonna 
tear my arm off. Like I had the feeling of a lion is going to rip my arm off. And when he opened, I felt the breath uh, from his mouth when he opened his mouth. And I realized how big his mouth and his teeth were. And his tooth was about that long. And I reached out and I remember seeing my hand was shaken. I was terrified of what this lion was going to do. But I know I had to do it. And I grabbed hold of his tooth. And when I grabbed hold of his tooth, this doesn't make sense, but it's true. His, he grabbed hold. He had me. I didn't have him. And he began to lead me out of this place. And he just had his mouth open. And, and he wasn't growling. He was just walking. When he walked, I remember looking at the other animals that were bowing up, these, these different types of cats and dog and wolf creatures that whenever I walked in, they were, they were bristled and growling and angry and upset. And I remember looking at them and I remember, have you ever seen a dog cower or a cat cower or a, in a fight? They were as f close to the ground as they could possibly get with their ears flat and they were literally laying down, grimacing that God that this wrath of this creature would not get poured out on them. And they were terrified. And I thought, well, thank God, I don't have to... I realized I didn't have to be afraid. I have this animal that is the... This is the, this is the alpha right here that I'm with. And, but he led me through this, and he led me out to the, where the procession, where this great celebration of marriage had gone, and they led me... They, where they had gone out to celebrate, this lion walked through... And he said, this is nothing but a uh, fabrication of my power. This is nothing but a fabrication of who I am. They are pretending that they know who I am. They're using my name, but it is all a facade. It is all something that is, that is being propagated and propped up by demonic powers. And this is not me. And I've called you, and he's, like he's called all of us, I've called you to walk out of this and to walk in truth, but you have to trust in me. And as he was leading me, these people were celebrating and they were they, this, this great celebration and the, 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 the holy matrimony that the God covenant of marriage was being celebrated and people were joyous. And I remember people, when they saw the lion walk through their little celebration, they kind of got a little timid and they kind of... Uh, whispers began and the music kind of stopped in the background and then everybody was looking at us as we walked and I'm holding this lion's tooth as we walk through this and I'm still terrified still completely scared but I realized that this lion fears no one he fears nothing not even in so many times well, I want to get ahead of the message but so many times we want to so bad defend what God is doing. We want to so badly defend and point out and say, but God, you're being, God's not worried about it. His truth overrides any lie of the enemy. His truth and his power is sufficient. All we have to do is live his truth. All right? We don't have to uh, try to force his truth. God's truth is ultimate power. And when we, it's hard to walk in that. It's hard to hold the lion's tooth and walk in God's sincerity and in faith and trust whenever you're afraid your arm's going to get ripped off. You know what I'm saying? But at any rate, whenever I walked through the procession, this, this, this other lion popped up. And this lion, though, was like a man. 
and he was pure white, and he was, he was in shape in his mane. He had the body of a man and the face of a lion, and he popped up, and he, in front of the lion and me, he jumped and said, hey, guys, hold up. Where are you going, Justin? We're celebrating. I want you to, and, and I thought, oh, who is this? This is a man lion. And for some reason, I wasn't afraid of him. I totally liked him. And I, I remember when I shared this. Eric pointed this out. I have to share this. When I originally shared this message as a 22-year-old, I was sharing it, and it had just happened. And I said, I said he reminded me of Eric. Uh, the, and I forgot I did that. I meant it because he was in such good shape, and he was not, not, we all knew each other prior to the 200-pound boundary that we all surpassed. So I remember Eric, you know, I, I got to meet Eric because he was, I was the little scrawny 16-year-old, and he was, anyway, so that's what I meant it as. Uh, but, so w when this lion popped up, not you, brother. You were on the other side of the line holding the other tooth. I just didn't see it. But this, this, and I, and I was drawn, I was attracted to this. It was a beautiful line. Perfectly white, perfect mane. Uh, I know it's odd to think of it, but I was attracted to, I wanted to be like this line. Something in me wanted to emulate. And he was, he had white fur on him, like a, like a lion. And it's silly, and I feel silly even sharing it sometimes, but I know it was God. But, and he was, uh, he was perfect. He was perfect. Beautiful white. Be I thought he was the whitest, most beautiful, pure thing I'd ever seen. And he said, hold up. As this lion man face was talking to me. He said, hold up, where, where are you going? And I noticed he would not stand directly in front of this lion. He would stand directly in front of me. And he said, where are you going? We got a party. Don't, don't leave the party. We're about to, you know, this thing's about to kick off. And, and I look over at the other lion thinking, like, can I go with him? Because this is terrifying me. I don't, I don't This has been great. Thank you for getting me out of that place with the caged up demons. But this is a party. I can go do this. And I literally looked over and I saw this, the eye of the lion looking directly at the man lion. And he pulled me over to the side and began to walk around. He didn't say anything. And um, the man lion said, wait, well, hold up, hold up, hold up now. I want you to stay. And it was much more forceful. And he said, I want you to stay. And again, he never even, he pretended like I wasn't even with this giant lion. And he said, I want you to stay. We're about to have, I got something for you that you're going to like. It's fantastic. And, and he put this, this sales pitch on me. And I, something in me wanted to do it. Something in me wanted to go party with everybody. They were doing it in the name of Jesus. And, and I remember feeling like I was about to let go of this tooth. Like I could feel myself kind of like, eh, this has been fun, but I'm going to go over here. And I remember the lion pulling me again to go over here. And he was, he was doing it gently, but at the same time forcefully. And as we walked away, the lion, and now everybody, this is four or five hundred people are now looking. And they're looking like, ah, he's missing out because this is awesomeness where we're at. And it was, and I felt kind of like, ah, I felt like I, I want to, 
something in me wanted to be a part of that. And I felt like I was letting people down by doing this. Like I was being better than they were or something. It was this weird emotional feeling. And so the, the lion man said, okay, y'all go ahead. Go ahead. We're going to have fun. You're going to see where that takes you. That's going to destroy you. And he began to say, and he said something about the lion that I was with. And the lion turned around and he faced everybody. And I thought, oh, he's, he done messed up. He said something about this lion. Now let me let go. And you can go tear them all up. Just I don't want to be, I have them in your mouth still. Because, but I felt, I felt this beast. I felt every tension. Whenever this man lion was about to say something, he didn't really get to say it, but he was about to say something derogatory towards this thing that I was with. And he turned and looked, and when he looked, I saw everybody kind of, the, the cool man lion kind of, he suddenly wasn't so tough, but he, he didn't back down really either. But he kind of, you know, he wasn't quite as bowed up, and I saw everybody kind of freeze. And the lion that I was with let out a low, guttural noise that I honestly before Jesus can tell you, had never heard in my life. I didn't know lions make this noise. I found out later, somebody showed me a YouTube video much later, and I was like, oh, I didn't know lions did that. But he let out this lion who's, you know, if, if I, we're on the ground level, he's about this tall and I'm holding onto his tooth. He let out this deep, guttural growl. It wasn't a roar. I don't think I could have handled the roar. But it was a guttural growl that I felt in my bones. I felt it made me weak to my knees. And I wanted to fall, but I couldn't. He was holding on to me. And, and I was terrified, and I began to shake as he let out this guttural growl. And I began to see everybody pale with fear. I began to, as it, his growl reverberated through the crowd, I, I began to see people wilt. And they began to put their things down and, and they began to dissipate. And, they, and the man lion turned and walked away like, yeah, whatever, all right. And he began to walk away like, I'll see you again. We'll, we'll, we'll meet up again. And when everybody dissipated and walked away, and, and, I, and he let, this growl went on for two or three minutes, this guttural noise, not even a growl, just a low, guttural, powerful I was so fearful of what was going to happen. But as soon as everyone left, the lion laid down, and it was joyful. Most bizarre experience. But it was complete and utter joy that, yes, my hand was no longer in his mouth. But it was different than that. It was a joy that the battle was just won for me. And all I had to do was trust in the king of kings the real king of the jungle. I had to trust, but it cost me something. It cost me my willingness to put my hand in his mouth and to be obedient to what he called me to do. But as soon as the battle was over, this joy filled up in my life and in my heart that it was unexplainable. As fearful as I was, and as fearful as I was of God Almighty, I had that much joy. Does that make sense? And it was in the lion laid down and... I could finally approach him and I could tell I, I just, I wanted to hug him. 
And he kind of gave me the okay. And I just collapsed on him. And when I collapsed on him and I was crying and I was shaking, and I was so relieved that this protector had protected me in such a unique, wonderful way. And as I was crying and it hit his fur, my tears, I noticed how dirty he was. And I noticed how neglected he was. And I noticed as my tears ran down and washed on his, went on his fur, I noticed how white his fur really was. So he was dirty. He'd been kept up in a pen that was not treating him correctly. It was not revering him correctly, not taking care of him correctly. And he was dirty, still powerful, still the most powerful thing ever. But he wasn't being taken care of. And as I laid there and I hugged him, how many of you ever want to hug a lion, honestly? <laughs> I, I had that feeling. I wanted to just hug him. And it was something that wasn't the lion, had nothing to do with the lion. It was God, obviously. It was the Lord. But I wanted to just embrace him. And I felt this love that just moved me. And I just cried. And I, I was telling him, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't know why I was telling him I was sorry. But I said, whenever in my tears, I said, your, your fur is all, it's white. And when I realized instantly is how much wider his fur was than the fake lion was, which I didn't think was possible because the other lion was as pure of a thing as I thought could ever exist. But I noticed how perfect the, this mane was and this fur was that, this, this, that God had. And he said, I want you to do something for me. And I said, God, I'll do anything. I'll do anything you want. He said, I want you to take care of me in your life. And I want you to trust in me in your life. And I want you to be obedient in me in your life, regardless of what you have to do, regardless of the consequence, regardless of what I ask you to neglect or forsake or who comes in your path. I want you to take care of me and take care of all of me because I don't belong in a pen in the back of a warehouse being pimped out for, for God's glory and being put in the back of a warehouse and being neglected. I wasn't made for that. I was made to be victorious in your life. And I woke up. And oh, I promised the Lord. I said, I will. I will take care of you. I promise as I cried. And, and I woke up and I sat up. I don't wake up fast, y'all, those that know me. I don't wake up suddenly or fast or energetically. I certainly did that morning. I sat up and I knew instantly what everything meant and, the, and, and what it meant in my life. And it was something that God birthed in me. And I went and told Lynn, I, had a, I didn't have a dream dream. I had a God dream. And it was something that changed my life. And that was the, the gist of the dream. And it was that um, the gospel is going to get uh, utilized in an improper way. And the gospel is going to try by man and by the demons and by those that want to get benefit financially and those that want uh, financial gain and wealth and power and all these things, they will utilize God's holy scripture that he gave us and they will misuse it for their own gain. And I see that nowhere more powerfully than I do see it now in America. And in the American gospel that is being preached and the Christians that are being developed are, it's a facade of what God really is. And they've got all the godly characteristics of what God intended for you and I, 
but they deny the power of God. And they deny what God's called us to do. They've even got a, a lion of their own. But I'm telling you today, he's not as powerful. He doesn't hold a candle to the king of kings. All right? Because there's no part of man of that king. He's all lion. All right? And, and you're, I encourage you this morning. Now I'm going to get to my message. Y'all in 1 Corinthians? Yes. I'm going to encourage you this morning. This is what... This is what God, this is what the Lord is. This is real power in the Lord. How many of you want power in God? Amen. How many of you know you have to walk in God's power? Yes. And look, this verse, of course I'm going to pick a verse that everybody on the planet has read a million times. You've got it crocheted on pillows, it's on bumper stickers. Um, but we're going to look at it anyway. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 Paul says, and now I will show you, does everybody's Bible say the most excellent way? Now I will show you the most excellent way. Amen. What a cool uh, phrase by Paul. Yeah, how did he know he'd be speaking hipster Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures? Uh, <laughs> I'll show you the most excellent way. All right, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Y'all ever heard the most annoying sound in the world? <laughs> That's what I think about every time I read it. All right, verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And, and I, when I read that sometimes, I believe Paul might have been being just a little bit sarcastic there. Uh, Writing to the church in Corinth, who, by the way, very rich, very wealthy. They had a lot, of, a lot of prosperity there. Paul had a hard time with these guys that were being called out of all these, uh, these false gods and false doctrines that were being preached even then. Christianity is brand new. The, the, the revelation of who Jesus is, God's pouring out of His Spirit, is relatively new. There were already people that were deceivers preaching a false gospel. Uh, and Paul had a problem with the church at Corinth because they were, they were puffed up. They didn't know what God's real power was. They thought it was one thing, but, God, uh, but Paul is correcting them. He says, verse 2, If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not what? Proud. Proud. Verse 5 said, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, and it is not easily angered. All the men say amen. Amen. It keeps no record of wrongs. All the women say amen. amen. Verse 6, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Uh, we're going to pick up there in a second. What I don't like, and one thing that is, uh, irks me in Christianity is half-truths. I have no patience for half-truths. Uh, but in Christianity, I see half-truths and partial truths being preached constantly. People are building their entire Christian foundation on half-truths. 
All right? Let's not be deceived by half-truths. God's Word is the absolute truth. It's the only thing that we can build a foundation on. Let's not take a shortcut in any aspect of our faith and build on a half-truth. Let me give you an example of a half-truth. I have, if I really wanted to impress you guys, I could tell you I got a Mercedes-Benz. It's true. I drive a fully loaded... Fully loaded Mercedes Benz. I know some of you are jealous. <laughs> Fully loaded leather. All right. Beige leather, my favorite. Uh, white exterior, tan interior, leather, Bose sound system. And it's, it's a Mercedes. I mentioned that already. All of that is 100% truth. All right. Uh, however, and that's impressive, right? It's a $32,000 car. I've got the sticker in the thing, in the glove box. However, in reality, there's a half-truth because the whole truth is it's a 1997 with 210,000 miles on it. The muffler is genuinely, literally about to fall off. The tires are bald. The leather is ripped to shreds. It's still fully loaded, all right? But it is a half-truth that I told you initially. Uh, it, it's part of the truth, but it's not the whole truth. The whole truth is difficult to accept. Not that impressive a lot of times in the natural. But in the spiritual, it is paramount. That you have God's complete and total truth. That you have God, you're clothed in God's truth. And I encourage you, what's being pushed in the gospel today, and in charismatic churches, unfortunately. See, it used to be the charismatic churches were the ones that were pushing the truth. Branching away from denominationalism and, and breaking forth with God's power and His Spirit. But unfortunately, I see the charismatic church, it has become a denomination in and of itself, unfortunately. And I encourage you saints, we're not, I'm not trying to bash anything, I'm only trying to promote the whole truth and nothing but God's truth. And I, I want to encourage you, what, don't believe the half-truths. God wants you to have everything that he has. Amen? Another half-truth, Jude and I were watching football. We're watching LSU. And uh, he always wants to know, how big am I compared to the guys he's watching on the screen? All right? <clears throat> so we're watching football. He's watching LSU play whoever they played. And I said, uh, I, I don't know. And he won't let up. He, I have to tell him I'm like that guy's size. Well, then he'll watch that guy the whole time. But when I looked up, uh, LSU's got a running back, Alfred Blue. He's about 6'2", 205. I think that was the stat that they put up there. And I said, Jude, look, I'm about his size. See that guy? And Jude said, oh, what number? And I told him what number. And he's like, oh, okay. Uh, and he watched that guy because he wanted to see how big I was. And he's eyeballing me like, okay. And I think he's thinking... He could go play that right now. I think that's what he wants to do. But I said, you know, I'm about that size. So right when we said that, Alfred Blue busts through the line, knocks a linebacker over, and drags two defensive backs a couple yards, leans out, just some animal play, just busts through. And Jude, he gets excited. When he gets excited, he does this, whatever he's doing. He does his hands like this. I'm like, stop. So, and, and he said, oh, you know, Alfred Blue busted the line. He's like, well, hey, could, could you do that? Um, well, I said I'm about that guy's size. I didn't say that. that That's a half-truth. I'm really not, all right? The truth and the whole truth is 
We're about the same size, but there's a drastic difference between those two examples. Between me and a running back in, at LSU, we might be roughly the same height. If I put a pair of cleats on and a helmet, I'd be about 6'2". In all honesty, I'm way more than 205. I'm about 225, all right? So, but the thing is, I, even though I'm bigger, there's a drastic difference between, there's a drastic difference of truth between this and Alfred Blue's this, right? He's got, he has, whereas I have the cushion that would probably help. Honestly, full truth, full disclosure, I'd probably break my back if I tried to do one play that Alfred Blue does multiple times. In a, so, but in, and we laugh, and that is funny. But what's funny, what's not funny, is that that is how the gospel is being presented. Like a half-truth. It's not like God's love. Is ever, it's just love, 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 love. God's love, just it's everywhere. Anybody can take it. Just you need God's love. God's love's everywhere. You can just about do whatever you want. God's love is right there to pick you up. I get flyers from other churches constantly. Not only do they ask me what type of worship would I like, what time would be a good time. I had a flyer that was a questionnaire from a church. I've had two of these, uh, two charismatic churches. And one of them was just a poll. Just, they wanted to take a sample of what the people wanted so they could provide it. That's one way to get people in. Amen? Give them whatever they want. Just throw God, sling God's love everywhere. Because God's love is everywhere. Well, saints, that's part of the truth. The whole truth is, is that God's love is out there, but it comes at a cost. There is a standard of righteousness and holiness and faith that you have to have to get God's love. Amen. All right? That's right? And it's not easy to walk in this love perfectly. Uh, or, or in a godly fashion. Matter of fact, it's the most difficult thing in Christianity to do is to walk in God's love. And you're commanded to do it. And I'm commanded to do it. All right? And when we're able to do that, when we're able to walk in this love, God can utilize you. When you're able to humble yourself, you know the most difficult thing in the universe to do? is to do that very simple scripture of when someone slaps one cheek, you give them the other. Well, in theory, that's really, a, a, it's everywhere. We can all, we've said that a million times, but when it happens to you, it's really hard to follow through on that in every aspect of your life, in every area. All right, look at verse 8. Let's finish reading. Love does not, in this, when we read this, it should sting everybody in this room just a little bit. All right? when we read what God's love is really supposed to be like. And when we read this, ask yourself, is this God's love that's being expressed in my love, uh, in my life? Not just in your life, how about in your marriages? How about in your, your, with your children? How about with your neighbor? How about with those that are closest to you? And, and I encourage you, this is the great thing about this morning. I don't have to, I forgot to mention this. I'm not, I don't have to pastor. I know y'all are pastored wonderfully and and. and Perfectly almost, y'all are pastored. I just get to come in and <laughs> I'm heaping That's praise. Scary, I'm, 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 I'm being nice. To, no, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely mean that. I know these guys. I know how they're pastoring. And, and I, get to, I get to take sneak peeks and I get to talk to them. And I get to look on the website and see what God's doing. And it encourages me drastically. So this morning, please don't think that I'm trying to pastor anybody. I'm just trying to encourage you from one brother to another brother and a sister. 
All right? Because I know what has spoken to me the most growing up in this and, and having the things that I've had to experience and being in this environment as a child growing up my whole life in missions and missionary work and in, in spirit-filled environments, I know what God's spoken to me. And I hope that it encourages you in what God's doing in this place this morning. Amen? Amen. And that's all I wanted to do is to encourage you. So I encourage you this morning to take all of God's love. Don't go with this cookie-cutter franchise gospel that's being pushed out there. God birthed something unique in each one of you, and He wants that to flourish. Amen? Amen. Look in verse, uh, let's finish reading. Love, uh, verse 8 says, Love never what? fails but where there are prophecies they will cease where there are tongues they will be stilled where there is knowledge it will pass away verse 9 says for we know in part and we prophesy in part but when perfection comes the imperfect disappears when I was a child I talked like a child I thought like a child I reasoned like a child when I became a man I put childish ways behind me uh, and, and, and Paul's emphasis is that to Walk in anything other than a mature love that is all of these things that he lists, which are greater than any, really greater than any gift that any of us, that God would pour out on any of us, is our ability to pour that love that he forgave you with, that love that he, he saved you with, that love that he pulled you out of the darkness that was your life, is to pour that on somebody who doesn't deserve it, just like you didn't deserve it but someone still poured it into you, God still forgave you. Well, it's easy, in theory, for the creator of the universe, you could argue, well, you created them, you gotta love them. It's hard for us to have that same love. Does anybody understand that? Yes. Yes. It's hard for us to, to go and love somebody. We didn't create this mess. We didn't create what's going on. We didn't create that person that, uh, that person that's in the jungle right now that we, you, you brothers are going to go minister to, that's not, it's easy to say that's not our mess. That's, let's let God deal with that. But see, God called you to love completely entirely. A partial truth is to say, well, that oh, God's love is sufficient. Who's God's love going to be poured out through? It's got to be poured out through us. It has to be. And I encourage you, let it pour out. Wherever God calls you, wherever God has you doing it, God's love should be pouring out. And it cannot be under your circumstances or it cannot be on your terms how God's love is poured out. And that is a difficult concept, a difficult thing to walk out. Easily understood, very difficult to follow through. It is. It really is. And I encourage you to do that. Uh, what does it say in, uh, where was I? Verse 12. Uh, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Uh, turn, to me, uh, turn, if you would, please, to Hebrews. There. I like that. Got to implement that. Hebrews. It'd help if I told you all where. Chapter 10. Verse 19. You want to know real quick, I'm going to read something in Psalms 5. I'm throwing the sound booth a curveball. There you go, Big Al. Psalms 5, verse 3 says, In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you. 
and I wait expectantly. Verse 4 says, For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. Verse 5, at the end it says, You hate all who do wrong. Verse 6 says, You destroy those who tell lies. And the bloodthirsty and the deceitful, you, O Lord, you detest. Uh, We want to a lot of times say that in what's being preached, and I kind of skipped over this, I apologize. But what's being preached to is that God's standard is not there. God's standard for his love is not there. That's what, uh, just one scripture that God talks about, those that are uh, wicked and arrogant and unholy and unfaithful. Those, the Lord says, I detest them. I hate them. Y'all go ahead and turn, put your, keep your finger there, go to Psalms 5, just so you can mark it if you want to. Psalms 5, verse 4 says, you are, you, are, you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate, you hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and the deceitful, you, O Lord, you detest. So this... This gospel that's being preached of love, 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 love. God is just this big fruit fairy of love for everybody. It's not, that is not necessarily the truth. God's love has standards. And what does it do? And look at what the enemy tries to do with that lie. One thing is that he cheapens the gospel of God with this blanket of love and and you're a Christian, you got to love everything and everybody. Yes, of course, but that's a half truth of the reality. The real truth is, is I love unconditionally, but I still detest sin. I still detest those that walk in sin. I detest their actions. I detest that, that, that spirit that is on them. I detest, and I want to save them from it. Now, what does the world try to implement? And unfortunately, it's implemented in Christianity. Unfortunately, it's political correctness, which I hate with a tremendous passion. But what does political correctness do? Political correctness, and, 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 and there should be a term for that in the, in the, in the church. We should come up with a, what's the politically Christian correctness, is that we say, oh, we accept you. We accept you. Oh, absolutely. Oh, no, no problem here. Only to turn our back and call them names behind their backs, right? It's a face value love, if you will, and acceptance, but it's not really a whole truth. They turn their back and they despise and they slander. That's political correctness for you. But God's whole truth is you look him in the face and you say, I genuinely love you. I love you unconditionally, but that sin you're in is absolutely detestable to the Lord, and he hates it. And unfortunately, you will burn. And of course, you have to be spirit-led when you say that, all right? Please do not go to your neighbor or the person that serves you coffee at Starbucks tell them they're going to burn in hell. However, when, when there is wickedness, that's God's standard. That's God's love. And see, it's hard to deal with. Much, much easier to say, oh, we accept whatever lifestyle choice you, whatever you want to do, whatever addiction you want to hold on to, whatever sin you want to hold on to, we accept it and we accept you. Turn your back, 
talk bad about uh, talk bad about you behind your back and slander you and ridicule you and really not love you love you to your face and some people are like well that's I like that love I like that love I'm okay with that love because it's easy God's love is not easy all right uh, what did I tell you how to turn to Hebrews 10. Y'all all said there. I wasn't even there. <laughs> Hebrews 10. So two things. It, 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 it diminishes God's holy standard. You know, it, it helped me every once in a while if I rub my notes. I find that would really help me keep pace. wonder later, like, why did I forget to do that? Why well, didn't look at my notes the whole time I was preaching? Um, it diminishes God's holy standard, and it, and it cheapens the gospel because this gospel, you know, a man... A man died for this, for us to be able to, to do this. A man died innocently, and a man died so that we, you and I could be the ones that poured out this love. Jesus can't walk and pour out this love anymore. So it's paramount that we do it correctly. Amen. And when we do it, God flourishes just like God was able to flourish in a little humble church in a garage. It's the same concept, the same principle, but you have to let his love come out. All right, so another thing about faith. Uh, uh, verse 19, I believe, is where I'm going. Did I say 1019? Yes, sir. All right. 1019 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, verse 20, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, thank you, Jesus, let us draw near to God with what? A sincere heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Now, was that a ritual that we all went through? Did any of you have blood sprinkled on you? No. No. No, it has nothing to do with anything in the natural. It has to do with God's blood washing you spiritually, giving you a new birth. Amen? Amen. Verse, uh, uh, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23 says... Let us hold, what, what does y'all's Bible say? Unswervingly. unswervingly, mine too, we're on the same page. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Another half-truth that's being preached that I encourage you never to embrace is this thought that uh, you're in, always in good standing with God regardless of the situation. Regardless of the circumstance, me and God, we're tight. I, 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 I'll be honest, I have made that excuse in the past because it was easy for me to make. I didn't come from a, 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 a harsh upbringing where I was, uh, I mean, I didn't have a lot of vices in my life that I had to give up. And I didn't have a huge, uh, uh, grand testimony of God's deliverance in my life. So a lot of times it's easy for me to say, well, I've known the Lord since I've been spirit filled since I was seven, eight years old. I'm, 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 I'm comfortable. Can I tell you that that is an easy place to build apathy in your Christian walk is when you look back on that. And I encourage you, I encourage you kids don't ever do that. Apathy is much worse in my opinion than almost full blown sin. All right. And I say I'm guilty of it. It is something that because it's a slow, slow spiritual death. It's an anaconda that is slowly wrapping its way around you and slowly constricting your air. It's not a sudden attack where you die quickly, where the enemy comes. It's a slow death is what apathy is. And this thought of, yes, God 
he is faithful, all right? He is always going to love you. His, 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 his love is always poured out to you and his faithfulness and his relationship with you, but it has a limit, all right? You, you and I have to persevere. And this is the kicker. It'll change as you walk with the Lord. It will, at sometimes you will have to have a great amount of faith than others based on the, 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 than other times in your life based on the position that God has you in. And if you haven't experienced that, just keep on persevering. You will because, and, and, and Eric, uh, Pastor Eric preached about it last night at the meeting, that there will be times in your life where your faith and your perseverance will raise to a different level. All right, and you have to be prepared for that. It's not this one even kill. Oh God, he's fine with me. I can. We're tight. We're we're good. Everything's good. Me, we're bros. God does not wink at unholiness. He does not wink at sin and say, Oh well, he's Justin. He knew me when he was eight. He he's been with me, and I know he's 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 being apathetic, and I know he's not hungering and thirsting for righteousness, but we're okay. He's fine. Never will God do that. God demands that you get in the throne room and you hunger and thirst because that's what produces obedience. Anything else is disobedience. All right? So I'm encouraging you. Let's persevere in what God's called us to do. Let us, verse 23 says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider, and this is, of course, of the utmost importance. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And what's missed there, we always say, and it's always preached, and I do it, let's spur one another on. But there's no emphasis put on the part that says, uh, let us consider how we may spur one another on. See, there's, difference. there's a difference in the brothers and sisters in every congregation. All right. One shoe does not necessarily fit all in the way that you are to encourage and admonish and spur one another on. All right. And what's what you have to do is be led by God's spirit and how to how to encourage one another, how to spur one another on. And that that means that you have to specifically pray, God, show me how I can encourage my brother and my sister. I don't want to offend them. I don't want to make them angry. I don't want to, I don't want to push them away. I want to do it the way your spirit would have me do it. That's a lot of responsibility on you. It's easy to say, hey, and this is something that your pastors do, right? I know a lot of us all want to be pastors, but we're just not. So, but to all of us that are encouraging one another, your, your pastors can say, hey, Get it in gear. Let's go. I need you to do this. I need you to do that. And because they are divinely in, God's called you here for that, for that to be pastored that way. And that's, God is beautiful how he works that way. He knows what you need. Amen? Amen. And, but when you encourage one another, you got to be careful that you are showing God's love the way God was showing. You're encouraging and that you're not lowering the standard of holiness in any way, but that you're being spirit-led. Because we want to, Think about and understand how we can encourage each other. When we're doing that properly, it, God, God can do mighty things. And you, instead of it, it becomes a bond between your brothers and your sisters. And when this foundation is the way it is between brothers and sisters, God can do mighty things. Amen. Mighty things. And he is doing it. Amen? Amen. Uh, where am I at? Verse 25. This is a message i got to preach to my brothers and sisters at King's Harvest. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, 
But let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning. Now this is the part that I was really wanting to get to. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we, after we have received the knowledge of the truth. No sacrifice for sins is left. But only a fearful expectation of judgment. And of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. Um, this is from the Song of Moses to, the, to Israel, which is us. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of what? Suffering. suffering. I, I, we're all supposed to be blessed. There's not supposed to be any suffering, right? No. You mean I can't? What was it? Brent said blab it and grab it? Blab it and grab it. That's great. <laughs> oh, that's great. I love it. I, I don't see Brent. Where's Brent? Oh, I got to give him credit for that. Blab it and grab it. Uh, because it, and see, we like to, and obviously you know this, what's being preached, uh, and it's so prevalent, and we want to look to that. Our flesh wants to be blessed. We want blessings, blessings, blessings. But blessings is having God's love poured out in your life and having your family whole and having your children blessed and spiritually, having God provide for your need, not bless you with abundance of worldly blessings. How silly is it to compare that? That's as silly as political correctness spiritually. It's, it's this, this thought that God is going to bless your pocketbooks. How silly of a thought. It's just sad that that is in our, uh, in our, in our Christian culture, that that is being used, that half-truth. Uh, what verse am I on? <clears throat> verse 32. Remember those earlier days after you received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so, who, who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Can you imagine? Because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Amen. Verse 35. So do not throw away your confidence because it will be richly rewarded. Does that mean with a brand new Mercedes or a brand new house? No. no. Verse 36. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. And that is everlasting reign with the king of kings, which really has no earthly benefit whatsoever. So not only is your love, is it a huge responsibility and is it difficult, but really when you pour out God's love and you exhibit God's faithfulness, you genuinely really have no reward for it. No earthly reward that we can claim. I've never heard uh, someone legitimately say, oh, yeah, I got this house because I, uh, I, I led 50 people to the Lord and God, this house appeared after I did this. Isn't that a silly But that is absolutely the half-truth that is being preached, that God will somehow want you blessed financially. And look, 
If that were even the case, Donald Trump must be the most godly person on the planet or whoever else, right? I mean, isn't that a sad thing that that is being pushed as gospel? That's being pushed as God's blessing, it, that it equates to riches? God wants you blessed, brothers and sisters, but he wants you blessed in his love, Amen. in his integrity, and in, he wants you blessed in his gifting so that you can love other people, Amen. so that you can help other people come to know the love of Jesus. That's the only blessing. So really, not only is this really super hard to do, this is the most excellent way for sure, but it is difficult to do, and really, there's no house, there's no uh, Mercedes, there's no huge bank account at the end of the proverbial rainbow, all right? There, there is only you sacrificing whatever it is that God asks you to sacrifice, because your happiness and your love is never dependent on any circumstance. We're going to finish reading this and we're done. Amen? Uh, verse 35 says, So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. For in a very little while He who is coming, He will come. I can't wait. Come Jesus. And He will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. That's you and I, by the way. And if He shrinks back... What does God say? I'm okay with it. Oh, somebody's reading. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believed or believe and are saved. And, and of course, in the next verse, everybody knows, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Obviously, if not the things that we do see. And this is the great thing. That is... <clears throat> my encouragement to you this morning is that God's love should be abounding in all of us and I feel it in this place every time I walk in and it's a blessing and it's a testimony to the, to the seeds that these leaders that are in this church have sown into all of your lives and the fruit of that is evident I encourage you to hold on to that don't ever waver hold on to it unswervingly with your feet grounded in the truth and obviously it's, it's great to talk a big game, but it's more, much more important to play a big game, all right? It's much more important to walk this thing out, and I encourage you, don't fall for any half-truths. Let's continue on with God's truth in our life, and God will continue to bless this place, and I pray that as God's love is poured out and your faith increases, I genuinely do pray that you continue to grow, and I pray that, and we could care less about numbers and growth and all that stuff, but whenever God's message is being poured out, it's good that we want to affect as many lives as humanly possible. Amen? Amen. So I genuinely pray that next time I visit, that y'all continue to take control of this till you have the whole, y'all will have just one big long church all the way down. I'm going to keep praying that God do that. I ask that you continue to pray for the work that's in, I want to say Baton Rouge, but honestly it's in Walker and Denham Springs. And the King's Harvest Fellowship, continue to pray for me, pray for my wife, pray for uh, Buzz and Lorraine Treme, and pray for the work that's being done there. Because what the enemy meant to destroy, we're determined in the name of Jesus that God's love is going to continue to be poured out. And, and we want to see that done. Amen. I thank all of you very much. I love you very much. And on behalf of my wife and my kids, thank you all. We love you very much. And uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity.